All right. Good morning, everybody. I, I did notice that um, when, when Tara said, who likes food? It was like, yeah, who likes people? And then slightly less, hey. <laughs> but um, it, I'm super excited for small groups. Um, ours starts this week. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's turned into a um, medium to large group. But it, it's going to be a lot of fun. If you're not plugged in yet and you don't have a small group that you've signed up for for the summer, love for you to join ours. There's another one I think that actually meets tomorrow. Sign up and, and join theirs. It's, there's some people that are double dipping, and that's totally awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun. They really like food and people, or just they really like food. But either way, it's going to be a lot of fun. So don't forget to sign up. I look forward to seeing you guys all there. And I also was told this week that I'm probably going to be the preschool VBS games coordinator. And so the real question is, who's going to have more fun, me or the preschoolers? Not quite sure, but it's me. Yes, so much out of you, for sure. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm super excited for the things going on this summer. I'm real excited to be partnering with Elim Church. We're actually planning a service with Elim the Sunday after VBS, where both churches, we're going to come together. And if all the paperwork goes through, we're going to have church outside at the South Hill Park, both of us. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So um, mark your calendars for that, um, barbecue and everything. Again, more food. Even if you don't want the people, there's going to be food. So it's going to be good. Would you guys turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 as we dive in today? Um, and as you turn there, uh, let me ask this question. How many of you guys grew up in church and you knew a popular song starting with this line, Jesus loves the little children? So that's some hands, right? Jesus loves little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus loves all the children of the world? I, I read a book by Bob Pierce, and if you don't know who that is, he's the founder of World Vision. And World Vision does amazing things all around the world for, for children and families. And, and you, know, you can sponsor children and make sure they have food and water and education and he's, the, the organization is amazing. <clears throat> but um, he said this in his book. As he, was, as he was praying to God and finding out what is he going to do for the children of the world, how is he going to make an impact, his question was this. God, let my heart be broken by the things of the, that break yours. Let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. When you think about this, that's a very powerful statement. When you think, what, what is it that God has a heart for? What does God have compassion for? And they started thinking, do I have compassion for those things? If God were to see something and it broke his heart down, would that be also something that broke my heart down? It's a very deep question that, that if, you, if you look at it with the wrong mentality, it can actually get you depressed. And, and, and I know you know me by now. You know that I don't, I don't like to make anybody feel bad or depressed. But I, but I do like to ask questions that just get us, get us thinking but then I, I hope that in turn, as we think and as we explore the Bible and we explore God's heart on it, it gets us excited to do something about it. And that's really what I hope we get from today, an excitement to move on something. But how many times a day do, do we hear about a tragedy in the world? It, it seems more often than not now, right? On, on the news, there's a tragedy. Um, all too recently, the most recent school shooting, right? We, we, we hear of these tragedies. And, and the world cries out for a minute, but then something happens, just a short time goes by, and then life resumes. And it's just, it's day-to-day, -day, life is normal, right? Life goes on, you go to work, you have your family, and suddenly those things, they, they turn into kind of an afterthought. Like, yeah, that happened, but it's, it's not on the forefront anymore. It's something that is now in the past. And I know that this, this happens to me, too. Something happens, I hear about it, I read about it, I'll pray about it, and then life goes on, and I don't remember much about it. 
unless someone brings it up or I see another headline about it. Life goes on and things become just thoughts and memories in the past. If somebody dies, it's a tragedy. But when a million people die, what happens is it turns into not a tragedy anymore. It transforms into a statistic. And we start seeing all these numbers and statistics start to flow our world. And it's easy to see statistics and start to become numb to them, to become overwhelmed and even just kind of just paralyzed with the information of statistics that happen in the world. But what I want us to see today is that when, when we see a statistic, we see this many percentage of people suffer from this, or this many percentage of people are ill from this, every percentage point on there represents a person. And when we look at the heart of God, God doesn't just say, this percent of the world is doing this. God says, this many people. Every percentage point is a person. God sees the individual behind every one of our statistics. Every single person. Every single heart. God sees it all. And I know that it breaks God's heart. Now, when I think of this, I go back to that phrase that was in the song we sang and the thing that um, Bob Pierce said. Break my heart for what breaks God's. And, and you know what happens when we have a broken heart? You know, sometimes we, we can get sad, right? We can, we can have a broken heart. We, we go through the sad thoughts. But something then, there's, we have an opportunity to make a shift. When we have a broken heart, we can turn that broken heart into action. There, there's a step we can take. There's something we can do. The news breaks. Tragedy hits. We stop. We hurt. We pray. And um, I think I shared this before, but I know that when, when something happens, one of the lines you see online a lot is, my thoughts and prayers go out. And I think that is a critical portion, a piece of the puzzle. That is something we need to start with all the time. Our thoughts and our prayers need to be leading the charge into this. But I think often we can have our thoughts and prayers go, and that, that's where it kind of just ends, ends. When I think there's more that we can do. There, there's action we can take. We have an opportunity to put feet behind our thoughts and our prayers. Not diminishing thoughts and prayers at all. Like I said, those are important and vital. But there's more we can do in the world. And what we all do looks different a lot for who, depending on who you are and where you are in life. But I think there's all things we can do. And today, I love that we get to talk about something that we are doing as a church. Now, I want to turn your attention to, uh, to the screens here. I want to show you guys a picture. And when you see this, go ahead and tell me, what do you see in this picture? You can just, you can just shout things out. It's not rhetorical. Shout it out. What do you see in this picture? Rocks, see some people up there. Lots of dirt, lots of dirt, yes. <clears throat> this is Mexico, someone said, I think someone said Mexico, this is Mexico. Um, if you look at this, you'll see there's, there's paper and garbage along the ground. Um, this hill, part of it is man-made, man there's a tarp there, under that tarp are actually tires that are trying to build some tiers on the hill. Um, and if the top left corner, that's actually a house. Um, that, that house, there's the family that lives in that house. Uh, the house is made of cardboard, plywood, broken tarps, and trash from the dump. That, that's, that's their home. That's what they live in every day. There's no running water in the house. There's no power in the house. But this is, this is what they live in each and every day. And when you see this, again, this is, this is something for us. We, we look and we say, like, wow, that's horrible. What would, I do, what would you do if I told you that these people, yes, they, they desire more, but when you talk to these people, they're some of the happiest people you'll ever meet in your life? It's crazy, isn't it? When, when you put perspective on, on tragedy and things, I know that when, when I saw this, my, my, my heart did break for this family. And I've actually got to be in a little bit of communication with this family. This is a family that we get to go be with next week in Mexico. 
and what I love is this house right here, what you can't see is there's a plot next to it that's a flat ground where we get to be a part of building a house for this family. And it's going to be really, really amazing. We have a team that leaves on Saturday for Tijuana, Mexico. We have an incredible opportunity there to, to have an impact and reach specifically one family. Now, over the course of the trip, we're going to be doing um, a, a lot in Mexico. We're going to be doing VBS for a park where we found that um, day in and day out, there's about 90 kids that come into this park in the afternoons to play. And so we're going to set up shop there. We're going to do a lot of uh, vacation Bible school style lessons and games with kids. And that's going to be my job because I can't build. Um, if I tried to build the house, it would, tear, it would fall down real fast. But I get to be a part of the kids team. And we get to reach and play soccer with these kids and share life with these kids. And we get to go do things for these families in Mexico. Now, um, our, our church, our denomination, Open Bible, has a base of operations in Tijuana, Mexico called Puente de Amistad. And this place, uh, the organization um, funds and finances and helps teams build homes, feed and supply orphanages. It does a lot for the people down there. And this all started one day with some people that said, my heart hurt for these people. My heart breaks when I see people going through what they're going through here, and I want to be a part of it. I want to go, and I want to serve, and I want to give some of my resources to help the needs of these people. I love that Saturday, there's, there's eight of us. We get to board a plane, fly down to San Diego, and then drive across the border, and we get to spend a week in Mexico. And we get to do so much for people there. And we get to share some of the blessings God has given us with people there. But I also love the fact that I know that as we go there to serve with other people, God blesses us immensely. And God works in our hearts. And God allows us to do that. And he allows our hearts to be broken by the things that break his. And we get to be a part of seeing his heart among the world. For people that don't have everything we have. <clears throat> but... When we leave, uh, I know that this, is, this didn't just happen this year, but <clears throat> almost every year I have conversations with people about missions and what we get to go do as a church. And I, this is the first time in a number of years that we've got to go as a church down to Tijuana. But um, every now and then someone will come up to me and say, Pastor, why? Why do we do it? Why, why would we spend all this money? Why would we ask for resources? Why would, why would we take our time to fly across a number of states and cross into another country when we actually have people here. There, 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 are, there are people that, that are homeless here. There are people that have needs here in Puyallup. There are needs locally. Why would we even care what's happening a thousand miles away? Why would this be something that's on our minds when there's so much we could do here? It's so far away, let's just put our resources into our community instead. And so, so, so I thought about it, we talk about it, and, and, I, and, I, and I see their point. I understand where they're coming from, and there are things we can do here at home. There are people in this city in need. And I, as I think, there are people in this city in need. There are also others. There, there, there's so much, and I know that we're only one church, but if you break it down and, and you really get to, to what we want to do as a church, man, I know we want to help everybody. Our, our heart really is to do as much as we can for as many as we can. And I know our resources are limited, but I know God multiplies resources in phenomenal ways. And we have an ability to do something that maybe we didn't have the ability to do 100 years ago. But we can do it now, and we can bless somebody now. So the real question is, when, when you ask all this stuff, you know that no one person is greater than someone else. They are all loved by God. I guess the real question comes down to, who is your neighbor? When we look into scripture saying, love your neighbor, who is our neighbor? In what ways can I practically make a huge impact on someone that I would call my neighbor? So if we go to Luke 10, we see a passage where Jesus gets to talk about helping and serving our neighbors. So Luke 10, we're going to start in verse 25. 
And Jesus says, or the, the scripture says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus was asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I love what Jesus does. Jesus does this all the time in scripture. He turns it back on the person. Someone asks a question, and Jesus is one of the best question askers ever. He asks something else that really gets down to it. So he turns to the man. He says, what does God's law say? And the man answered, love God with all you've got and love your neighbor. I love this. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor. You could give the guy points and be like, ding, hit the buzzer, you nailed it, right? You got it. But he doesn't stop there. The man then, he, he has the question right, but wanting to justify himself, he then says, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Why did he ask this question, we wonder, right? Like, he, he got the question right, but then he keeps going. He says, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who do I get to talk to? Who, who, who are we talking about here? What behavior maybe was this man justifying? And, and many Jewish experts in the law think that when this was first established in Leviticus 19, that this loving your neighbor thought referred to just the Jews, someone of your own race, someone of your own religion, that was your neighbor. That's who you help. That's who you serve only. It was easy for them then to take the next step and believe that you were not required to love anybody else. So you know what? This is, this is same race, same religion, same area. I'm loving you. You guys don't fit any of those categories. You're not even an afterthought. And I love that Jesus totally shake up, shakes up this man's world. The guy says, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus blows his mind with this story. It's a story that most of us may be familiar with. But Luke 10, 25 to 37, continuing the story, he says this. In reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he saw him and took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of, these do you th which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now in this story, we, we see a few different people, right? And the, the obvious answer of who should have helped him is not who helped him in, at all. But we, we, ha we have the, the four main characters here, right? We have the Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's robbed, beaten, left for dead, so, half for dead, so much so he can't move. He's literally on the road, immobile and ineffective to do anything for himself. We have the Jewish priest who comes by, and he passes by on the other side. He does absolutely nothing. Now, in, in culture and custom then, if you were to touch someone that sick or someone on the verge of dying, you would have to go through a cleansing process. So I can, this priest was probably thinking, well, if I touch this guy or help him, I can't do my job for a week at least, so I'm out. And he totally crosses the road. This would be like the pastor of the church, the pastor of your church, me, seeing someone that broken and in need and just turning around and walking the other way. I hope you know I wouldn't do that. I hope you think I wouldn't do that. But that's what this was like. Someone who you think, this of all people, this would be the one to help. And this man walks away. A Levite passes by and does nothing. Now, this is their fellow Jew lying on the road. A Levite, 
is a teacher of the law, a keeper of the law. These are two Jewish brothers. He's a religious leader. He has every reason to stop and help, but he does the same thing. He turns and walks away. This would be like one of your board members here at the church. Someone who, who, helps, who helps run this ministry. Someone who, who, is, who is, has a hand to play in meeting with me and working with me. Doing the same thing. Saying, you know what? Don't have time for this. This is really inconvenient for me right now. I can't do it. And walking away. Then the Samaritan arrives. Part Jew, part Gentile. A racial half-breed. An outcast hated by both sides. There were centuries of hostility between Jews and Samaritans. If anyone had a reason to see the Jewish person on the road and not care, it was a Samaritan. But the Samaritan's the one that stops. He helps the man. Jesus makes the Samaritan the unlikely hero of a story. Put this in perspective. If Jesus were telling a story today, it would be an American on the ground hurting and dying. And two Americans pass by, but maybe a member of the Taliban stops and says, I need to help this person. Or they're in Ukraine, and a Ukrainian, an Ukrainian person is hurt, and two Ukrainians walk by and leave him for dead, and a Russian soldier stops and says, I need to help this man. Just to put it in perspective of this is the unlikely hero of the story. The one who should not help is the one who helps. That's the wrong hero, right? That's not supposed to be how it happens. The Samaritan stops and helps, and Jesus asks, who was a neighbor to the man who was robbed? And here's the obvious answer. It wasn't the obvious hero, but it's the obvious answer the one who had mercy on him. Who is your neighbor? The one who had mercy on him. So I ask us again then, who is my neighbor? Who's our neighbor? Who gets to be our neighbor? Based on Jesus' story, how do you answer that? Jesus challenges us all in this. He challenges us all to be a good neighbor to those in need, regardless of who they are. Regardless of their background, regardless of what your perception is of them as you see them on the street doing whatever it is they're doing, we have a choice. Does that person get to be our neighbor? We live in a world where, where we have become not just now a, a community in a city in, in Washington. We live in a world now where we have a global neighborhood. We have resources and availability and the ability to go so many places to where the world is our neighborhood. The word neighbor in Greek carries the idea of nearby. It means nearby, a person next to you, right? For most of history, Jesus' command to love our neighbor was that for their community. But then even Jesus had times where he went on a boat and crossed into a new community to work with people. He took a time to say, I'm going to go through this city where these people are not neighbors to anybody. People avoid this area, but he's going to go through as well. So he was breaking the barrier even back then on what is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? In the past, it may have been difficult to care and love for those on another continent or in another country, but in the last century alone, things have changed, like due to awareness, right? A century ago, we would have no idea what was happening around the world instantly the way we do today. It wasn't even a thought, knowing what was happening in another country, but today we live in a social media-saturated, internet-connected, cell phone. We, we know everything. I wondered how my dad did it when I was a kid before he had the internet, Right? But now we know everything. If a tsunami happens or an earthquake happens, in California we called those Tuesdays, right? But when those happen around the world, we know about it. We find out instantly what had happened. We can know within minutes, we can know within seconds, someone that was affected by a disaster. We have access today. A century ago, nobody flew anywhere. International travel was done by boat, and if you wanted to go somewhere and across, the, across the world, you had to get on a boat. It would take you weeks to get there. We live in a world today where in less than 24 hours, you can be anywhere. 
anywhere in the world in less than a day. And we have ability now. In the past 50 years, our growing understanding of the issues of the world has given us possibilities to reach and help impoverished nations in ways that maybe we never even thought we knew because of technology and ability. And this, this should be good news for the poor, right? This should be great news to know now that the world is so connected. There's so much we can do. But the truth is, there are over a billion people living on less than a dollar a day. There are over a billion people living on less than a dollar a day. Almost three billion people living on less than two dollars per day in the world. Imagine calling someone, giving one person a dollar, giving another person two dollars, and saying, all right, all you have today, you have the clothes on your back, and you have the money I gave you, and that's all you have for today, period. You've got to find a way to get water. You've got to find a way to, to get food. You've got either $1 or $2. This is all you've got. You've got no car. You've got to walk everywhere you want to go. If you spend the money on the bus to get somewhere, now you've got no money for food. You've got no money for water. Oh, on top of that, you also have kids you've got to take care of. Um, on top of that, you're going to have uh, probably some bills in some way at the end of the month that you've, got to, that you've got to make sure you take care of. But if you spend money on entertainment... Then you don't have food or money for anything else. So on top of that, you've also got to care for your shelter, your electricity, your heat, your transportation, education, and or medical care. Seems like an impossible task, right? And, and, and it, it does seem like, wow, how does this happen? But that's how half of our planet lives. Half of our planet lives on just that limited resources. Our neighbors, and that's, I think, one more than one thing I want us to hear when I say that. That's how half of our neighbors live today. Can we walk around and say, we don't see these people? And unfortunately, even for me, I think the answer is yes. I, I, I do often walk around and don't even see people. How many times can I play back in my mind even that I, I've seen someone saying, you know, hey, I just need food for today and I haven't done it. I just need money for today and I haven't done it. And I know that, that I can't do that for every single person, but, but I can play in my mind. How often can I, can I look at someone and see something and walk away? And I, I know what the answer is for me. When I see someone who's in need, I can walk away because for me, it's not personal. For, for me, it's easy for me sometimes to say, I don't know this person. I, that, that's, that's not my neighbor. I don't know who they are. I don't know their story. Um, sometimes we can even say in our mind, that person's probably just going to go use this money on something I know they shouldn't be using the money on anyways, right? And then I decide to turn the other way because it's not personal to me. But I think we need to make it personal. You know, this year, we're going to remember and have the 21st anniversary of the World Trade Center crash on 9-11. 21 years. How many of you guys, and you can raise your hands, how many of you guys vividly remember that morning? I remember that morning so crystal clear. That was... I don't mean to make anybody feel old. That was my senior year in high school. <laughs> I know, right? I know, I know. This, when I was at graduations this year, it was my 20th anniversary of graduating high school. But I was a senior in high school, and I vividly remember getting ready for school, my mom turning on the TV and seeing what was happening unfold live on TV. It was crazy, right? Now, not, imagine not one, two, three, or four jets, but... Imagine 100 jetliners crashing in one day, killing over 25,000 people. How much attention would that get in the world? A lot, right? It would get a lot. Now imagine that happening every day. Imagine 25,000 people dying every day from some horrible tragedy. Would it be shocking if I told you that every day there are 25,000 children that die from preventable, curable diseases around the world? 
But that doesn't get a lot of media attention because it's not personal. It's not so personal anymore. It seldom makes headlines or news because these people are so far away or because they're not, they're not our kids. But I think when we read scripture, we need to see that the world's pain should be personal. The world we live in, our neighbor, the, our global neighbors, this should be personal. When, when a child dies from hunger or violence or malaria or bad water, or, or a, it's, when something like that happens, it is personal to that child's family, right? That, that child has a family, that child has a mom, that child has a dad. That is a very personal, horrible thing. And I think it should be personal to you and me because that child is our neighbor. When, when we see these things around the world, that we need to know that these people are our community. These are people that are not just statistics. These are people that are loved and cherished and created by God. And when we see these, it can be easy to be overwhelmed by statistics. The, the enormity of the problem and to feel powerless or to walk, by, to walk by and say a couple things. You could either say, there's nothing I can do, or you could say, it's not my problem. But there is a third choice. There is something we can do. We all have all kinds of assumptions about poverty and poor. We've, we've all grown up in this, this incredible country. I, I, I love that I live in America. The land of opportunity where, where you know, they say if you work hard, you can typically do almost anything. And that's generally true. You, know, you, you work hard. We, live, we have so many opportunities around us. But consequently, it's easy to believe. It's so easy to believe that if somebody is poor, if somebody is hurting, that that's because of a decision they made. It is their fault. They did this to themselves. It's really easy to go down that rabbit trail and not see that maybe life really did throw them a sucker punch that they weren't ready for, and they're really hurting right now. They're really suffering, and they need a hand. And if we're going to see the poor as God sees them, we need to make sure we're turning away from attitudes of judgment, make sure that we're not seeing people as just, oh, well, they just had, didn't take advantage of the, the, the area they were in. Maybe they just didn't take advantage of the, the privileges that, that I had growing up but we need to see people as people that are hurting and need Jesus more than anything else. They need him. We grew up in a, a country that has embraced basic freedoms and the rule of law. We, we have access to medical care. Uh, many of us receive shots as kids, you know, vaccinations against diseases that we don't even have to worry about anymore at all. We have clean water to drink. We've got food to eat. We have good education. We've got uh, schools and libraries that we don't really have to pay monthly for other than taxes. I know it comes from those. But, you know, it's just we don't have to worry about it. It's all part of the, the system. We have thousands of colleges and universities. We have financial aid. We have jobs. Uh, if you look at what we say, what half the world lives with, even some of us that are in not amazing situations here, we still have it pretty good. We, we have a good life, and I don't say these things because feel bad. I say these things, honestly, just, just to get our eyes thinking about our neighbors, thinking about the, the amazing ability we have to partner with people and do things that can really make an impact even when we think we can't make an impact. All these things that I said we grew up with, if you were born in many parts of Africa, in India, or even some parts here in America, you may not have these things that we take for granted so much. I know that the very first time I went on a missions trip to Mexico, um, the first thing I did when I'd come home, I seriously looked at my house and was just like, wow, look at all my stuff. And what am I looking forward to? The next Black Friday sale. Yes, it's going to be awesome. And then we get to go to Mexico and we see, we see pictures like the one that I showed you. And we see so many people that don't have what we have, but we see happy people, people that we get to use some of our resources to, to bless. I love that when we go to Mexico, my daughter Aurora, she puts together care packages for some friends that she's made down there over the years. And it's just out of the goodness of her heart. She goes, I just want to give to these people. I want, she looks forward to, we're going to go to the dump on one of our days. And that's Aurora's favorite part of the trip. 
going to the dump to give food and toys to kids who she can't even talk to because she knows how to say, hello, how are you, where's the bathroom? But she gets to play with these kids and give them things, and it is so fun. But I know that when Aurora saw the kids at the dump, her heart was broken for something that breaks God's. And it was a very powerful moment. The Bible is clear that when, when God blesses us, it's so we get to go bless others. Like I said, I, I don't say all these statistics to make us think, think bad, like, oh, man, I just, now I feel bad for all this stuff. I don't want you to feel bad. I want you to look at your stuff and look at, look at your life, look at your blessings, the way God has used you and, and given you what you have, looking at that and saying, wow, God has blessed me, and I get to go bless other people now. God has given me the ability to make an impact. God has given me the ability to go do what he called us to do. It goes all the way back to the first promise that, that God gave Abraham in Genesis 12, chapter, two, or chapter 12, verse 2. He says, I will bless you, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. I love that. From the very beginning, God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And it's not just for you, not just for you to, to have all this blessing and be great with half of your life. He says, I get to bless you, and in turn, what do you get to do? You get to go bless others. From the beginning, we get to use the things that God has given us to go bless others. Instead of thinking of us being superior uh, to the poor or, or so rich, or we get to say, God, thank you so much for what you've given to me. Show me how I can use it. Show me how I can partner with somebody. Show me how I get to be a big part of your story in the world. Don't feel guilty. Feel grateful. Don't feel guilty, feel grateful. Thank God for what he's given you. And remember, he's blessed you to be a blessing. Let your gratitude move you to bless others. Let your gratitude move you to help others so we're not that the priest or the Levite that said, I don't have time. Oh, this person probably deserved it. We get to be that Samaritan that says, I don't even know this person. I shouldn't care about this person based off what the world says, but I'm going to because God loves this person and he's given me the ability to love this person. We get to love our neighbors. So what do we have? What do you have? If the world is going to be changed, it's going to be done by ordinary people. Ordinary people are going to do big things. We get to look at ourselves and say, God, what do we have? What do we get to do? What do I have, God, that you could possibly use? What do I have in my life, God? How do we get to do this? And the disciples actually wondered the same thing one day. And this story is noted in all the Gospels, and I love it because the disciples were kind of using an excuse. Like, God, we, Jesus, we really don't have the ability to do this. But Jesus shows them that they do. So the disciples were supposed to be kicking it, kicking it out on a much-needed break, right? They, they needed some time. They were out relaxing. People found out where they were, and soon a crowd gathered. Jesus felt compassion for the people, and he spent the day teaching them and healing them and having this awesome time with these people. And by late afternoon, the disciples told Jesus, Jesus, you need to do something. It is late. We are tired. They are tired. We are hungry. They are hungry. It's time to end church service. Right? I know some of you guys think that when I'm talking. I see you looking at the clock. It's lunchtime. This was that moment in scripture. It was lunchtime, dinner time. They needed to get home. So they told Jesus, you need to get, send them home to do dinner. But Jesus, again, turns the table and he gives them a challenge. He says, you need to do something. Feed them. And the disciples were not expecting Jesus to say this. So like, are, are you kidding me? Really, Jesus, you want us to feed these people? Um, if we want to do this, they, they tried to explain to Jesus why they couldn't do this. They're like, all right, it would take eight months of wages, thousands of dollars for everyone to just have one bite of food in this crowd. This is not going to happen. Do you really want us to spend that kind of money? Is that what we're here to do today? We don't have that kind of money. So then Jesus asks another great question. He says, what do you have? What do you have? 
So they look around and they come back with a little boy sack lunch. Five little Hawaiian rolls, two little sardines. Basically a filet fish Happy Meal from McDonald's without the toy. That's what they have, right? I know some of you grimace because you don't like McDonald's. Me too. It wasn't, this was not a gourmet meal. Some bread and some fish. And they say, how far is this going to go? Andrew, one of the disciples, says, this will not do much. And when we look at the enormity of the world's needs, billions of people, 1.2 billion people without clean water, 1 billion people without food to sustain them daily, 15 million AIDS orphans, and there's more. It feels overwhelming. And we can have that moment, right, where, where Andrew kind of looks at Jesus and we have that. We look, we say, Jesus, this is all I have. I look at the world. This is what I have, and it's nothing. This is really nothing. But what do I do? I have a few hours to give, maybe. God, God I, don't, I have a few bucks. I, I can spare a few extra dollars, but I really can't do much. How is this even going to make an impact in the world? I've asked that question to God before. God, I, I'm only one person. I only have this. What can I do? This is how the disciples felt trying to feed thousands with this happy meal. What are we supposed to do with just this? What do you have, Jesus asks. Then he says, bring it to me. And in Jesus' hands, that meal fed the whole crowd. And it didn't just feed the crowd, there were leftovers. That's what Jesus does with a little. So I would say, if you ask yourself, what do I have? Say, it doesn't matter how much you have. When you bring it to Jesus, he can make it the biggest thing ever. He can take the little bit you give and he can do so much with it. And it doesn't just have to be something. I think there's a lot of different things we can do. For example, there's some things we can do personally. There's some things we can do together. I'm gonna, there's going to be a list up here, but we can start praying. Like I said before, this, I think, our starting point needs to be with prayer. Pray for the poor. Ask God, what do you expect of me? How do I get to partner with you in this, God? How do I get to, how do I get to see your broken heart and be a part with you in this? We can volunteer our time. Find some time that you have. Volunteer. That can look like a short-term missions trip. That can look like a participating in the harvest offering that we receive in November. It can be with your tithe. It could be saying, you know what, God, here's, here's my tithe. I'm going to tithe faithfully so I know that you can multiply this throughout our mission. Maybe you can fast for a day. And instead of spending that money on, on something for you for the day, um, you, go, you go give that money to someone who's hungry. Have a dinner for the poor people. Buy someone some food. Another thing, um, my, my world, I, I, I love my kids. My world gets rocked for, by them all the time. One of the, last, one of the times that I had given um, food to a homeless person was because my daughter, Aurora, challenged me on it. We were outside a grocery store, and we saw someone saying, I'm hungry. Aurora was, I think, four or five years old at this point. She was little. I said, Dad, what's that sign say? It says they're hungry. Can we get them food? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Have dinner for somebody. Cut back and give to a, a poor family or a needy family at Christmas. Donate some goods or clothes or some things that you don't use. Sell something on eBay or Craigslist or offer up and, and maybe donate the money. Create a video on challenges, that challenges people to do something and post it on YouTube. There's power in social media. Maybe you can post something that, that will catch someone's eye and we can spark movements that way. Sponsor or befriend a child overseas. Serve together locally. Find, find one of your friends and say, hey, we're going to go down and we're going to do this in our community. We're going we're to go help and be some hands and feet here today. Brainstorm. Create something fun. Have, have an idea where you say, hey, we're going to go do this together. This is going to be a really fun way to serve each other, serve our community. Use your gifts and passions to do something new. Maybe something you've never done before. 
give to the Mexico team before they leave so they can bless people on the trip. There are so many things, and this is just a, a brainstorming fly-down list of what, what are some stuff we can do. I'm sure you guys, if, you, if we think about it, there's so much more we can think of of things we can do and be excited about being a part of a huge movement and loving our global neighbors. So the question is, what will you do? God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and he uses so little sometimes to do so much. There are three things I know that we all have. We all have time. <clears throat> We've all got different amount of, of money and talents, but we all have 24 hours a day, right? In a year, you may know the song, 525,600 minutes. We've got those minutes. We've got 8,760 hours. We say time is money, right? Time has value. Many of us are paid by the hour. <clears throat> all of us, when we spend our money, we're spending time, the time it took us to make that money. Time has value. Maybe, maybe when you think of what you can do in your life or what, what you get to be a part of, use some time. Use some time. Many of us have talents. When we, when we think of a talent, we think of maybe abilities or a, a musical talent or an athletic ability or um, artistic talent. One of the shows we love to watch at home is America's Got Talent. Just seeing what people can do is phenomenal, right? Certainly, whatever abilities you have should be available to God because you know who gave you those talents? God made you good at stuff. And all of us are good at so many different things, and we get the ability to use those talents all the time. But even think beyond your ability to other things you have as well. Your talents, you have a unique personality. You've got passions. You've got interests. You've got life experiences. You've got job skills. You've got relational networks. All of these are a part of who you are and what God can use to help the global community. And we all have treasure. Now, I'm not talking about everyone giving up everything they own, but I am talking about all of us do making sure we're being responsible with our resources the way that God calls us to be responsible with our resources. Biblically, this is called a tithe and a 10%. And, and sometimes people cringe when they hear the word. But some would say, I give my time and talent, I'm not going to give my money. And this, hear, hear my heart behind this. This is not a plea for me saying, please give me your money. This is not where that's going. I would much rather everybody in this room be in line with following God with their whole heart than I would rather have you say, give me your money. I want people to be in line with God's heart, what it means to follow God's heart. But following Jesus means that all we have is his. All we have is his, our time, our talents, our treasures. I want to be, man, when I look at my life and what I can do for God, I want to be a three out of three on that list. I want to give him my time, my talent, my treasures, and knowing that I'm giving it to Jesus. And there are some amazing stats that can be found if the whole church, and I, I, when I say the whole church in this context, I'm not just talking about Celebration Church. I'm talking about the church, right? Capital C, the worldwide church. If the whole church said, I'm going to give my treasure to God biblically, you know what can change? Everything changes. It takes us off, it takes away from the power of me and it turns us into the power of we. Just think about it. What could we do if everybody followed the biblical mandate, uh, the biblical principle of, with your resources and tithing and giving to Jesus? Some people would say, I know that'll never happen. You'll never get everybody to do it. But if churches did, what if one church did? What if we looked and we said, hey, you know what? This one church, it is all in and it is making an impact it would be like one of the churches, one of the Macedonian churches, where it could be an example and start inspiring other churches to follow. What if an impact started right here with us, this small little outpost in South Hill, Puyallup, Washington, and was said, wow, that church is, that church is all in. 
when, when, people hear about, when people hear about Celebration Church, it says, wow, that church isn't just all in for the church. That church is all in for the world. That church is going. That church loves people the way God loves people. Think of what we get to do. That is exciting. That gets me, I get, I get excited about so much, but this gets me going. We get to go. We get to make a massive movement. It takes courage. It takes all the smarts we can muster, and it takes millions and millions and millions of minutes of work. But if we could do it, if we're willing. So dream with me. When we decide to honor God with our treasure, we say, my time, my talent, my treasure, the church in the world, studies show this is what can happen if the church bands together and does this and follows it biblically. The church would have enough resources to end world hunger. That's amazing. The church has the resources to end world hunger. The church can solve the clean water crisis. The church can provide universal access to drugs and medical care for the millions suffering from AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis. The church can virtually eliminate more than 26,000 daily children deaths because of the medical supplies we can give. The church can provide a safety net for the world's tens of millions of orphans. And those are big goals, right? Like ending world hunger, solving the, the, the clean water crisis. That, that's a, that, people would say that's a pipe dream. But what if we started here at Celebration Church and we said, you know what? We're only one church. We're only one small group of people, but we're going to start and we're going to go and we're going to start making an impact. I love that this next week we get to go start making that impact. We get to go and we get to help families. We get to, we're not going to solve the world's hunger problem, but at least for a week we're going to solve a family's hunger problem. At least for a week, we're going to let kids get their mind off of what's happening in the neighborhood and kick some soccer balls around for a couple hours and get totally schooled by them in the process. But we get to go have fun with and be the hands and feet of Jesus to these families in Tijuana. I want you guys to know that eight of us are going, but this whole church is a part of this trip. This is not just eight people going to Tijuana and eight people make a difference. This is Celebration Church walking out of this building. This is Celebration Church walking into another country. This is our whole church being represented to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And as we get going, I do want to say thank you to everyone who has prayed for this trip. Thank you to everyone who has given to this trip. I know a lot of people have given their resources. People have given supplies. People have given to people that are going, saying, I'm, I, I'm not going on the trip. But in all reality, you are going on the trip. You are a part of this team. Thank you to everyone who is a part of this. And if you are unable to give resources to this trip, I would say give what we all can give. We can all pray for this team. We can all pray for this team. Think about this team. When Next week, like I said, we leave on Saturday, so we're not going to get into Tijuana until Saturday afternoon. But when we get there, um, start going to the, the church social media pages. I'm going to start putting pictures of the families that we're, we're with. I'm going to put lots of fun stuff so you can all be a part of this trip with us as we're down there. It's going to be fun. I'm excited to see how Celebration Church gets to use its time. We get to use our talents, and we get to use our treasure to go love the, our neighbors in the world. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team up today and like to have everyone stand up as we close today. And as we close, I want to read you the bio of the family that we're going to build for this year. So this year, a woman named Gladys, Gladys Yazimir Alvarez Rios. And I'll read you what she wrote to us as we're preparing to come down to visit her. She says, hello, my name is Gladys. When I was younger, my father abandoned the family. My mom was very depressed and she started to drink alcohol a lot. 
As I grew up, I started to follow her example. I began to go to wild parties and get drunk. I was at one of these parties, and I met my future husband. Both my husband and I were drinking and doing a lot of drugs. But during this time, a brother in our neighborhood came and would walk and talk with my husband about Jesus. After many times of talking to him, we decided to go to church. From that moment on, our lives began to change. During this time, I became pregnant, and we started to go to church every Sunday, and the Lord continued to change our lives. We go to Pastor Arturo's church now. We've been going to his church for 10 years. We serve the Lord with all of our hearts, and we love him very much. Thank you for considering our family for building a house. God bless you. Why do we need a house? It's funny that you would even ask that question to someone, right? Why do you need a house? But they asked. They said, why do you need a house? They said, we want a house because we saw the picture of what we have right now. We have property, and we've been working hard on it. There are a lot of rocks in our property. We've been breaking them to make the property flat. We want a good place for our daughters to grow. We want a place that is safe, a place for our daughters to be happy. We've been waiting many years for this opportunity, but it's difficult because we are poor, and we're asking for Puente to help build us a house and make our dreams possible. Today as we go, I know a lot of us are going to leave here today, and we're going to go to our house. This family is counting down the days to a day where they get to walk into their new house. And I love that we get to be a part of making this family's dream come true. And one of the great things is when we talk to this family and we say, this is your house, one of our prayers is, this is not just a house we built for you. This is a house a community built for you. This is a house that God has provided for you. And our prayer is that you use this house to be a blessing to those around you as well. Would you pray for me today as we get ready to send the team? Pray for our world Make sure you check our social media and comment on it, share it, let people know what we're doing. Let people know that our hearts break for what breaks God's, but we're doing something about it. Not for our sake, but to give glory to God always. We get to love people because he loves people. Amen? Amen. God, thank you so much for today. God, I, I, I thank you that we have this opportunity to, to love our neighbors not just the ones here next to us, but the ones that are so far away, the ones in other countries, God. You've given us the ability to build, the ability to serve, the ability to give. And I pray that as we go, God, we continue to have our hearts broken for what breaks yours. And that I thank you that we're doing something about it. I thank you that you give us the ability to do something. I pray for the team that we have safe travels and that, God, we just have an incredible time spreading your love, your joy, and your word to all of your people. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said... Amen.